Hello there and welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Sarah from Sarah Faruya Coaching and this is the Legends Podcast. I believe there are many, many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories and I want to tell them and share them. These legends are a collection of people who I have found during my 20 years in Tokyo and before. All of them are brilliant people. And when I became bored with reading another billionaire's biography, I thought I want to tell the stories of the people who I meet who are absolutely fascinating, but you won't see on your regular podcast interview. They have overcome obstacles, both systemic and internal, and we cover all kinds of things from creativity, grief, racism, business, disaster, loss, trolling, infertility, farming, eating disorder, eco-feminism, and more. We have elite athletes, people who live on Zen temples in remote parts of Japan, BBC newscaster to Taekwondo champion. Please enjoy these amazing stories from what they've overcome, from what they've built, from what they've created, from the way that they talk. I'm just delighted thinking about it. So please get stuck in and enjoy this next legend. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Legends Podcast with Sarah Faruya Coaching. I'm Sarah Faruya, and with me today is Jane Best. Hi, Jane. Hi, Sarah. We're actually recording this in her bedroom in her beautiful house. We're trying to be a meter apart. (laughs) (laughs) And we have a cat in the house as well, so it could be that we have a little visitor who comes in today. I believe that everybody has stories and I want to hear them and tell them and that there are many, many ways to lead a life. And boy, do we have a fascinating story for you today in Jane's story. Um, But before we get into it, a little bit about Jane. So um, Jane was born and raised in England in the UK and um, she started out as a lecturer and course tutor um, and um, in what was it, Jane? In, in Zambia. In mean? Zambia? Yes. Okay, so in Zambia, yes, under the Voluntary Services Overseas Scheme, after having studied cooking? Um, probably the, it was called institutional management. Institutional management. So hospitality management. Hospitality basically. management, I've got it. She then went on to live uh, to live back in the UK for a while, working at Mount Vernon Hospital as the assistant catering manager. She then moved on to John Lewis, PLC in Milton Keynes as the restaurant manager um, before moving to Tokyo where she was an English teacher and then an international school representative for United Publishers Services in Tokyo. Then she co-owned an English restaurant called 1066 with her husband who was called Best Cook as well, their company. She published a book which me and my husband are very happy to have a copy of. (laughs) (laughs) And for the last um, 10 plus years, she's been working uh, for Refugees International Japan, which recently changed its name to Refugees Empowerment International, Rei, and which also coincides with the era we're here, here in 
in Japan we're in, which is called Reiwa, which is just a lovely coincidence for us. I'm on the board of directors of Rei as well. So it's, uh, it's really great for me to be able to welcome Jane here today. It's very strange doing this recording like this, isn't it? <laughs> Sat in her bedroom, there's a beautiful view outside. Jane lives next to the most amazing river absolutely gorgeous and it's the it's um november 2020 so the we're in autumn here and it's just it's just glorious all the leaves are changing it's month 10 of the coronavirus just in I case so, yes. yes yeah yeah so um yeah this this is why we're kind of strangely <laughs> distant from one another yet uh cozied up in her bedroom so let's get into it. Jane, um, tell me all about your upbringing, your ancestry and your childhood. Um, there's Welsh there mm -hmm. um, and English. Yeah. My mother was um, from uh, a Tagcaster family in mm -hmm. Yorkshire and my father was from the Valleys in Wales. Oh. And uh, they met in London, um, which is where I was born. Um, very soon after that, when I was about three, uh, we moved down to West Sussex, well it was Sussex then, it's mm -hmm. now West Sussex, um, and we moved into this bungalow beside the sea, Lovely. literally a hundred yards from the beach, and that's where I grew up, um, went to school, um, and my family still live in the area, mm -hmm. not in the same village anymore, but, uh, but it was beautiful, I mean we, the beach and I was really into horses, mm -hmm. and so I spent a lot of my teenage years riding. And so you could ride on the beach and be behind. North of the village was the South Downs, mm -hmm. which are just beautiful. I mean, to, to ride and gallop across these strangely called downs, but they're ups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Actually, I wonder where that the etymology of that word comes from. No, I have no idea. No, no, no. I bet your husband knows. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's very good on trivia. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So what, what, what was the influence then of your life to describe to me a childhood of what, what year are we talking or what years are we talking? What era? Well, it was the 60s and 70s and it was great. Yeah. It was a fantastic time to be growing up. Uh -huh. I, I always celebrate that. Yeah. It was lovely. Lots of new things were happening um, and yeah, great music um marches when I became a student loved all that so it was a really exciting time to grow up um I didn't realize at the time how much it was still post-war if you like um oh, yeah. apparently the well obviously not apparently um rations were still in place when I was born mm -hmm. and of course I wasn't aware of that at all um but so it was a very happy easy childhood um with no frills Mm -hmm. um, and as I say, you know, the, the summer we were always down on the beach. I don't remember learning to swim. It felt as if I could always swim, yeah. you know. Um, and I went to the village school. It was a village, but it wasn't as parochial as that sounds because it was quite big in terms and quite a lot of second houses um, and quite a lot of commuter. Mm -hmm. it, it was just an hour and a half from London. Um, and so there wasn't a, a village community. Like I listened to Steve, my husband, and, and go to the village where they came from. Very much, they know everybody there. Yeah. I, we really didn't know that many people in the village. It was um, kind of a little bit distant from that angle, but then of course, 
southerners tend to be a bit distant don't they you northerners think that yeah well that's what yeah we always say that um yeah I, I, yeah i suppose there is there's this north south thing it's the opposite here in japan isn't it where yeah. the like people from like osaka and so on people from the west are considered to be more kind of friendly and down to earth um but it's interesting yeah well i'm from up north as well obviously so i'm gonna be like yeah yeah we're much more <laughs> much more friendly well, but... I did, I, but i did find that when i went up north later ah, on yes i did find that that people were friendlier yes or are friendlier yes um certainly i i think that's quite true yeah anyway. In my last interview, we were, my, um, the the woman I interviewed was talking about Liverpool and how she lived in Liverpool and she's from London. And she said she just loved it. She loved mm. how friendly everybody yeah. was and she had what she called her Liverpool smile. She, yes. She'd come back down with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's interesting you should say that. So just that, where's Sussex in relation to um, um, London? pretty directly south directly south yeah i mean it's probably not exactly direct but yes it's pretty more much or less. so yeah yeah brighton is the yes. best known which now it's split into west and east um brighton is in east sussex yeah um but that brighton was 15 miles which would be about 20 kilometers um east of where i was mm -hmm. um near worthing so you really experienced the kind of the the energies of the 60s and 70s then as a teenager and a yes. woman in your 20s. What yes. was that like then? So you said you were on marches. I remember you telling me because we went to Fuji Rock together and we watched uh, Ray Davis band. Yes. And remember you telling me you'd seen him when you were 19 when he was in what was his band called? The Kinks. The Kinks, of course. <laughs> Glad I knew that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who's going. <laughs> I'm the one who's going a bit potty already. Yes. Um, yes uh, Worthing Town Hall, which now sounds so very small town, which I, I guess it was in many ways. But that was the way. That was our entertainment. There was the, the the time of youth clubs and things. Yes, and people I loved went to all them. that. It was brilliant. And Worthing Town Hall. It, every th or maybe once a month but it was thursdays had some great bands and the kinks played there mm -hmm. um and i remember going to see the trogs uh-huh and uh, i can't think of all the others now yeah but yes that's, that's where i i saw them um and and kind of funny because i was probably mid-teens then so mm -hmm. i was only about 14 15 and my father would insist on picking me up at 10 o'clock yeah it was very embarrassing <laughs> I can see why I did it. Yeah, I can see why they did it now as well. But then, you know, I think we're really lucky, actually. I mean, for you, even more so, maybe being a few years older than me, just how much freedom we had when we were young yes. and how much we could just, I mean, you were put out, yeah. went off and did what you did and then came home and then went out again. And it was just so much fun. It was so much fun. We were out all the time. Mm. I don't remember learning to swim either. Mm. So I was raised by the seaside too. What do you think that influence had on you living by the sea? Do you have any ideas? Because I feel so strongly influenced by having lived by the sea. Um, well, well, the, the biggest influence is I do not particularly enjoy living in the city mm -hmm. um, and I did live in the city here in Tokyo for years and years um, so yeah the, the love of the outdoors and um, I think that is that is the biggest influence it had on me um, but yes it was very free you're right um, uh, 
not that it's not free now, but it was so obviously before everything got a little bit more complicated. You could just go out on your bike and cycle around the village. Yeah. And that, you know, even before I was a teenager. Yeah. And I used to walk to school. Same. It was, um, I think it was three miles to the, the primary school and I used to, to walk there. <laughs> How long did that take you? About an hour? I suppose. No, I don't know. I don't remember. No. About 40 minutes, I suppose. Okay. But I have this really funny memory, um, and I guess that's what this, these sort of interviews are about. <laughs> I do remember that I used to dream, and I was a big dreamer, daydreamer. And I do remember walking to school and imagining that there was somebody secretly filming me behind the trees for to do a film of my life later. Now, where on earth <laughs> did that come from? And why would I even think about that? <laughs> well, it's coming true right but now. It, <laughs> but it's such, a, it's such an abiding memory. I don't remember lots about school, but I do remember that walk to school. I and just I love that. <laughs> and you imagine like, so wow, that, that's like the Truman Show or something like that. Well, it, but it's not a big fantasy. It wouldn't, and I was really shy. So why would I even want, I suppose that was my way out of being shy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fantastic. I, I love that. I've just got goosebumps all over my body thinking about that. Like, what an amazing fantasy. <laughs> so bizarre. Yeah. Daydream. I was a daydreamer as well. Goodness me. And I, I wasn't shy at all, as you can imagine, <laughs> but uh, um, just a daydreamer. And I did love being on my own. I just loved being on my own. And I still do, actually. That's why I took just took, took an hour just to sit on my own in the room yes. before. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I just really love being on my own. I love being in company too, but that's not something that I feel really strongly about. I love that fantasy, Jane. That's amazing. And you said also <laughs> that, you know, things became more complicated. What do you mean by that? Before things became more complicated? Well, in worrying about, you know, where the children are going uh, yes, now yes. and um, checking on them quite rightly. Yes. Um, and so that was, it was, yeah. It's a bit trite to say healthy and dangerous because obviously the word danger is around, of course. But it just was much easier to just get on your bike and cycle. Yeah, and, it was, wasn't it? I, there was a turning point there. Maybe it was just the proliferation of media and yeah. the, the just more access, I suppose, when you're just reading the paper. Yeah. There doesn't feel like there's that ever-present mm. danger. But when it's constantly coming mm. at you, sensationalist stories about all kinds of things. And again, like you said, rightly so, keeping people safe and so on. Mm. Yeah. I, I feel so incredibly happy and blessed that I had that kind of childhood. You yes, know? yes, yes. Brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. So then 60s and 70s and then you went to college and you said you did marches and stuff as well. So tell us about that. And why did you choose to do the hospitality business as your what happened next? Well, yeah. And if there's any more gems of stories like the one you just told me, please bring them on. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they'll come as we're talking. Yeah. Probably. Don't always stay with me. Um, well, as I say, I was really shy and I know that yeah. I was, you know, my peers were, would laugh at me or, you know, make fun of me. It's a very mild form of bullying, which yeah. wasn't very harmful. Um, and then when I went into the sixth form, um, I discovered debating ah. and did, um, you know, research and, and so on for, for presenting your case in a debate and suddenly I discovered I had something to say and mm. uh, I've not stopped since no <laughs> that's As true and you thank goodness and lots for of you. people know yes um so how why did I decide I, I loved the sixth form I 
had all sorts of opportunities apart from the, the, de the debating. Um, and I was a bit of a, not goody goody, because I actually was quite naughty sometimes. Yeah, but I, good I, times. I became a head of prefects yes. and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where the sort of leadership came in. Yeah. And I probably didn't study as hard as I should have done. I hear you. <laughs> and therefore I wasn't likely to, I wasn't inclined to go to university mm. um, and I didn't uh, make the grades. Um, I, I remember one of the books in my A-levels, I think it was Great Expectations mm -hmm. and I never read it, I watched it on TV. Isn't that a terrible confession? It's not, you know, because I, <laughs> no, I did my GCSEs. Uh, to this day, I haven't read To Kill a Mockingbird cover to cover. <laughs> I got an A in every English exam. Oh, wow. Well, no, I didn't get. Uh, yeah. I, I got the grades in things like maths and so on, which okay. was very, very odd. But uh, yeah. So what did I do with the, the grades? And um, I wanted to do something with people. Uh huh. By this stage, you know, I was getting into socializing rather than being shy. Um, and it, you know, it was very much, was very much influenced by um, the counter, uh, counter culture that was coming down from London. Mm -hmm. you know, we were so close to London. And so it was all, it went from mods and rockers, it then went into drugs and that, you know, the music scene. Um, amazingly, I didn't take any drugs, but my friends were heavily yeah. into that. So that was all part of actually not studying hard enough. Um, in the sixth form and somebody told me about uh, talked to me about the, the catering world the hospitality world so that's why and it, strangely my grandmother who was living in Wales still living in Wales then she told me about this college in Cardiff mm -hmm. so that's how I sort of ended up there through not actually doing enough about it <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably the best way to explain it. They are already kind of working your connections there. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I went to this college, which turned out to be, well, it was mostly, I think there were two men. And I'd been at a mixed school, so I found that quite a, a, a not the change I would have wanted. Um, but we were, our college was also part of, all the students were part of the um, University College Students' Union. Um, so that was fantastic because mm -hmm. that opened up all these avenues for socializing again the music we had some great bands i always remember a friend saying that who was it um one of the bands they played for a crate of newcastle brown and their expenses <laughs> or something <laughs> and it was just um yeah uh the, the bands weren't charging as much then because they're all you know getting onto the scene so and then of course um yes marches and demonstrations it was a time of questioning mm -hmm. this was it was building and it was getting um getting quite exciting so what I, were the marches and demos about at that time what was the cnd oh um, cnd cut what's that mean? Ban the bomb it was. Um, campaign for nuclear campaign disarmament. Campaign for nuclear disarmament, ban the bomb. Greenham Common. Yes. So that was very strong during the, was that in the 70s then or I, yeah. I remember that in the 80s. Well it, yeah it definitely started in the 70s. Yeah 70s and 80s so that was the campaign for nuclear disarmament. Okay yeah. My favourite march, <laughs> my favourite march was um, Thatcher Thatcher the milk snatcher. That Oh yeah because she, she was taking away school milk. 
um, when she was education yeah. minister. Um, so yeah, I got very involved in student politics and I was social secretary in my second year. And then I became student president in my third year. And what was very interesting, it doesn't, it sounds grander than it was because it was quite a small all women's college and it wasn't, the college itself was not very political. Mm -hmm. um, but I had friends at the university union. So that's how I sort of got more involved in that. But you know what, I discovered that if you, going back to the debating society, I discovered if you've got your facts um, and you present them, you can, well, you can win your case, not always, but you can generally win your case. And I remember one incident at college, it was, it was still early and so they weren't allowing men into the hostels, into the, um, yeah, hostels, even just for visiting in the common rooms. And all my, uh, my predecessor said, oh no, the authorities really won't allow that, you won't be able to. And I thought, well, we've got to try. And I got all my arguments up to go to the principal with the uh, student committee. And um, I presented my argument and the principal just looked at me and said, I didn't know all that. I said, we'll, we'll change it immediately. And I was completely deflated. <laughs> because you were helping for a good because debate. <laughs> I was all built up to this argument. And uh, yeah, people just hadn't tried before. So oh, that's I was, so funny. That was nothing amazing at all. It was just prepared to speak. Oh, isn't that funny? I have an incident like that with my husband. And I was going to tell him that I was going to leave my job. So this is back in 2012 and I've got myself all geared up for all the different things that might happen. And I said, okay, I'm going to leave my job. And he goes, okay. And I said, okay. And he goes, yeah. And I said, okay. And I said, well, I'm also planning to fly to New York to go to this um, conference there the day after I quit my job. And he goes, all right. And he goes, how much is it? And I went, it's $2,000. And he goes, okay. And I was expect I was waiting, you know, yes. that tension's there. Yes. And he goes, okay I'll pay for it and I was like <laughs> thank you I was so happy but there was this the same thing this yes. weird tension inside me like I was expecting and then I think I actually created a row just yes. because I had this, this weird like <laughs> argumentative <laughs> tension in me aren't it, we odd it's an anti-climax <laughs> yes, too because you're all built up for it so yeah anyway yeah. shout out to Kay for paying for my yeah. ticket to that um yeah. to that conference that's brilliant um when so when you were by the time you got to college you were kind of over your shyness is that right yeah you just really Pretty enjoyed much, yeah because yeah, I mean, like, it comes no. out it still comes out slightly at odd times if you know do you know what put what it ill at ease do you no. know what shyness is like why you were so shy when you were young or is it just was just well, in well, your nature I, I had rather a strong mother a little bit sort of domineering she she was great I mean I didn't we didn't have any problems with her, but it, it, I, I think probably I used to be a bit embarrassed by her. Okay. Um, oh, speaking her mind too much and complaining in shops or something. Okay. Um, I mean, not that she was always complaining at all, um, but she tended to say what she thought. And I, I think I was just embarrassed about by that. Interesting. I mean, there's probably other, a psychologist would find all sorts of other reasons, mm -hmm. but that was what I think was the most, Yeah, there were all sorts of things like my sister my sister and I are quite different and she was always the, the loving one and oh, Jane doesn't show her emotions and so I'd always get that kind of a comment and I guess that made me less inclined to show my emotions mm. and 
and then oh don't don't ask Jane that she she knows it all she's too clever and mm. I didn't want to be classed as being clever mm -hmm. I'm sure I wasn't either it was just maybe I knew some things that my mother didn't because I you know yeah done better at school sort of thing. so I think though that sort of mixture of things affected me as a teenager you know. yeah and then kind of just emerged from it when you found the debating mm. society that's where yeah. you literally found your voice yeah and it wasn't a horrible unhappy childhood it wasn't no. an unpleasant thing or no anything. no um but it yeah it was very definitely there yes and your, your mum had a very long life as well didn't she yes she she died at 93 93 golly which was five years ago yeah i remember it well i remember it well um, so you you're at this you're at college you're having this wonderful time you're what were you like at college were you we just like fully engaged in everything yes yes. <laughs> yes I mean I thought that it was just that life experience you know apart yeah. from your study but it is learning about life and, yeah. and socializing as away from home um, you know we four of us had a flat um, on our you know the second years of, of college and so on and it was yeah, it was fun. It was great. <laughs> Were you a wild Learning child, a naughty girl, or anything like that, or was just fully engaged and enjoying? What's naughty? I, I, I was naughty. I um, yeah, I. I was all the naughties. <laughs> I, I played life as full. As yes. I didn't didn't take drugs. That was what was so interesting yeah. because it was a very um, experimental time, and my friends were very. Some some friends, not all of them. Yes. <laughs> some of them were, were well into it. Uh, all came out of it. All came out of it fine, um, which is great. Um, but apart from that, yeah, it was, what's the word, sex, drugs and rock and roll, but uh, no, not all of it, just enjoying it. Sex, booze and rock and roll. Yes. <laughs> Plenty of booze. <laughs> it was last night as well. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yes. So we still continue to enjoy our lives fully in that way, don't yes. we? You know? Um, uh, so what happens next then, Jane? What happens when you graduate and where do you go from there? Um, well, I wanted to do something different, I, and um, I was left a bit at the end of college because um, I'd been campaigning for our course, which was recognised as degree level, to become a degree, mm -hmm. and it was pretty well agreed that that's that the university would take that up and award a degree, um, but then they postponed it for a few years, mm -hmm. so I was left. I hadn't made any plans for what to do next. So I fiddled around. I I took uh, you know, temporary jobs mm -hmm. through something called Brook Street Bureau, I think it was called. They they organised temps. Yeah, I, 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 I've done lots of temping as well, and that really rings a bell. I, bet I think that that's was... what it was called. Yeah. I may be wrong. Yeah. And so Meanwhile, I was thinking, I, I really, I don't know where this came from. I was interested in going abroad. Mm -hmm. And I thought I must do it now. Um, Isn't it funny because, when we think that when we're like 19 or something, yeah, we're like, I've got to do it now before. Well, if, well I thought if I didn't do it then, <laughs> yes. I would never do it. Yes. And that would not, then I'd be disappointed. And, and I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'd like to do it. And if it, it doesn't suit me, it's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll, I'll find something else. And so while I was temping, I was applying for different jobs and I applied to voluntary service overseas, um, VSO. Um, 
and it, yeah, eventually got accepted for them, but it was it was a year later. Mm -hmm. So I actually got a, one of my temp jobs um, was a telephonist in a, an accounting company. And one of the partners in the company somehow got chatting to me and said, you, you, you're college educated. Um, and obviously the, my management course had included accounting. Mm -hmm. So he gave me a job. Mm. So I worked in this accountants for nine months, which was a great experience. I was doing basically incomplete records and working with a lot. I was working with the, um, the, the mine clubs in the valleys. Well, we're still in Cardiff here. So. Um, and so the, um, I'd go and visit these amazing men who'd been working in the mines all their lives and were you know, retired off. Lots of them had, what's it, pneumo coliosis, whatever the lung, the, disease. the lung disease that comes from the coal pits and um, working their records with them, putting them into um, a, a proper accounting. It was a great experience. Mm. So that's what I did until VSO finally offered me a posting in Zambia. I see. So let's move on to Zambia then. What 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 happened? Because this is like this is where I kind of pick up your story. Like I always think of you having living in Africa and and then that like I just have this very strong image of you in Africa. <laughs> so tell me more about this. Tell me all about this. It was wonderful. Okay. I loved every minute of my time Zambia. in Zambia. It was yes. the country of Zambia. Yes. Yeah. Um, Where's Zambia, by the way? Is that mid? Mid? Mid, middle Africa. Um, uh -huh. It's landlocked. It's landlocked. Okay. It used to be northern Rhodesia. Okay. And therefore it was north of Rhodesia, which mm -hmm. was Rhodesia then. Um, obviously now is Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. um, great climate. It's 5,000 feet. I think that's right. High. Wow. And so quite a mild climate. Mm -hmm um yeah and you know crazy things like hitchhacking around the country i mean I, i've been back to africa many times since and i wouldn't hitchhike now yeah so uh yeah um thoroughly enjoyed it um what did you do there i was teaching in a hotel school i was very disappointed in my project um you know like i i lots of students I meet now you know going out to change the world and I was going out to the bush to work with people in the bush I didn't do that at all <laughs> which was actually very good for me because I learned that that's not really the yes, best way course. to do things yeah of course which brings brings me around to present day but um so to say more about that Jane you had this kind of image that you were going out to this kind of what like this kind of um I'm going to use this word purposefully um provocatively you're going to go out and have this kind of exotic experience, but actually you got that that kind of wake up call. Actually, no, this is not my experience. I'm here to be of service to the people here doing the things they do in the way they do it or what? Well, to change the world, basically. I was going out to change the world. Oh, of I course, see. You know. yes. um, no, it wasn't quite as grand as that, but I was very idealistic. Yes. Very idealistic. And um, it made me more realistic. In what way? Um, that that's not the way to do things. You're no. not going to go out into the bush and uh, change the people there. And that has built up and built up over the years as, you know, learning that the hands-on stuff is not, it's not, it's not going to take people on any further. Yeah. So I, my, my project actually was, was 
fine for me. Um, and I made quite a lot of it because I wanted to do things. I was there for the experience and I take my students out onto projects like school meals, looking mm -hmm. at school meals, looking at the hospital catering and that sort of thing. So that was really interesting. Yes. And thoroughly enjoyed that um, and the students. Um, but generally um, just discovering the joys of living in, a, in um, an African country, uh, a completely different culture um, and learning that some of the things we just don't take for granted and which is great. Um, when you say don't take for granted, what do you mean? You have to kind of question all the time in order to understand the culture or what, or don't take for granted. What can you tell me more about that? Well, not having the same material things. I see. And, you know, we, we I, being in the 60s, 70s, it wasn't even that materialistic yes. in my life. But, um, you know, learning that you, you didn't always have electricity and right. um, the water didn't always run and things like that. Um, Culture-wise, yeah. I mean, I remember one day being accused of being a racist um, by one of the staff in the hotel yeah. through a complete misunderstanding. But I was shocked. How could anybody possibly think that of me? Yeah, I've you been know. on marches for goodness' yes. sake, and it's yeah. I'm this idealist yes. that would yeah. never even consider that. Yeah. And that kind of realism, I think, is very like, good. Oh well, okay. Now I need to have a look at that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And that everything, that lots of things can be turned around. So that kind of learning experience was great. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. You should say this, Jane, and it's very timely. I think for this yeah. particular epoch that we're living through at the moment as well and if anybody's interested in learning more about this kind of thing that we're talking about here still alive and well that um um the 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 non-beneficial way of going out into countries is still alive and well as you probably know from what you do now but there's a great instagram feed if anybody's interested called no white saviors and that really puts under the microscope a lot of some of the the things that are being done very very badly um, and um, really highlights that. Um, and we will talk about this later, the Ray uh, Refugees Empowerment International and how embedded in the fabric of that is that we are not the white saviors at all. Um, we just provide the, um, we just provide the means for people to, to, to be the managers of their own projects. And uh, talking to African friends of mine then, yes. I, I learned so much about the colonial era and you yeah. know it sort of had this romantic image before you get there and yes. discover what harm was done yeah. um, in the colonial times and um, saw, saw what some of my African friends were doing was just fascinating yes. and quite different to anything. I also met quite, met not quite a few, one or two of the ANC guys which African National Congress and um, which was Nelson Mandela was part of that. Yes, is he, that right? Yes. Yeah. And Does so this he, border with South Africa? No, there's um, Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe or, does. Or yes. In between. Okay. Thank you, pardon. Um, but a lot of the ANC guys were in Zambia. I say I didn't meet very many of them, but I met one or two, and that was really interesting. Actually, there's another story that to this this idealism. Mm -hmm. Um. Having been on those marches as a student and um, against racism and against South Africa. So I went to Zambia and I, I'm never gonna go anywhere near South Africa. I'm not gonna touch foot on South African soil. And 
while there in, in Zambia, obviously meeting um, in addition to a variety of people, a lot of them were white settlers, um, white Africans, if you like. I mean, that's it's not an expression that would suit. It, it'll do for this conversation. Um, that they, they they were there. They were settled there. And they'd laugh at me, almost a pat on the head, and yes, Jane, you'll learn. You know, oh, you, that, that oh. Africans can do this and African can, can do that. And quite a few of them had South African roots. And I did learn from listening to them that I haven't been to South Africa. How can I know? And how can I say all these things that, you know, it, it, we mustn't touch it? And, and how can I talk more authoritatively, not authoritatively, but with more credibly, knowledge about yeah. it, yes, credibly. And so I did go down to South Africa. Um, I, I had a boyfriend for a while who was uh, Cape Coloured, um, which was the, the designation. That's um, what it was called. So just to yeah. be clear, that's the, that's the terminology that was used at the time. It was, that a, right? it was a South African terminology okay. for people of mixed race. Yes. And they divided the living areas into whites, blacks and coloureds. Mm -hmm. um, and he was from a Cape Coloured family. And so I went down to stay with his family, which was completely illegal. I didn't have permission. And wow. uh, if you're going out of a white, I'm white, <laughs> which would not be. And um, if you're going to stay in an area which is not white, you need to have permission. Um, so that was really interesting. And um, the, the family were great. Um, Dad was always a little bit wary because he wasn't used to it. He'd been brought up to not mix, um, uh, but mum and, and the sisters were, were much more at ease with me being there. But it was really interesting, like going out with um, Yvonne, uh, one of the daughters, uh, just trying to find somewhere to eat was difficult. Golly. And I was, I, I, Yvonne told me, don't say anything. Because if I spoke, it was quite clear I wasn't coloured because I didn't have a South African accent. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that's probably not the right way. Um, and so that was an eye opener. And then I went to Johannesburg and stayed with um, white people. They were of British descent. And they, they weren't unkind to their staff, but they were not you know, respectful to their staff. And it was all really interesting because I came away in the end much more confused right. from that visit because I discovered not only was it a black white thing or a racial thing, there was um, poor whites. I hadn't imagined there'd be poor whites. And, you know, this is coming from an idealistic viewpoint from my un uninformed days. Um, and religion, huge, huge issue with religion. So South Africa was much more complicated than I actually realised. Mm. Very interesting visit. Sorry, so that's a long story. It's 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 an interesting story, and I'm going to actually put a trigger warning on this for any friends who are um, um, uh, black, indigenous uh, people of color, just to to flag that we're having this conversation, and that it might be hurtful or painful at some at some level. So um, so I just want to acknowledge that. What was your takeaway from that then, Jane? I mean, you said you came away more confused, but what 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 were you then able to take take back from that? And did it? I don't know that I took back anything from it, but seeing 
I mean, it didn't change my views. No, but obviously no. Um, not for a moment. In fact, it only enforced in, in yeah. those, reinforced those. Um, but the but how complicated things can be, and you know, when you're young and idealistic, you don't actually realise how complicated yeah. something is behind an argument that you think is just a straightforward argument that this is wrong. Yeah, which, and it, was, which it, was is, wrong. it is wrong, but it's incredible the amount of com complexity and complication it throws up at the level, you know, that that level of, I'm just going to use the word cruelty, mm. and human cruelty, mm. throws up all that kind of complication. It's it's absolutely remarkable. It's un completely unsustainable as a system. Mm. And it didn't sustain. And it, it didn't sustain, but actually it does sustain in other ways, yes. right? Um, yes, actually, it does sustain. Um, it is sustained so it's really important to flag that as well it's just not just in South Africa either all right so that's a very sobering conversation there so I just want Sorry. to take a moment no don't please don't apologize these things are really important Jane these stories get lost like that story would get lost otherwise in 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 the ether and it's not it's a story that's playing out now. It's a story that plays out in the UK still. It's a story that plays out in America still. It's a story that plays out all over the place. And I think it's important for us to honor and acknowledge those conversations as well as difficult and as sobering as they are. So I'm gonna bring it back now and it, it may seem, it seems strange to kind of elevate the mood again. So I want to hear more about your time in Zambia and what, um, and you still have friends there, is that right? Um, yeah, not from those days, but not no. um, not in Zambia. Yes. Um, uh, although one friend, um, her her family is still there because she is Zambian, um, and that well, I still have a lot of friends from those days, and uh, they've gone to different countries, mm -hmm. and so that's great. And that was a, a very useful experience when I came to start my work with what was then RIJ. Um, in having those contacts in um, various places around the world. But the other thing that I remember, it was just getting out and traveling around the uh, the nearby countries. Yes. And I talked about hitchhiking. I mean, two of us, uh, a friend of mine who I, I am still friends with, she lives in Italy now, uh, she and I hitched from Zambia to Kenya. Goodness me. So that took us through Tanzania um, into Kenya. What was that experience like? Brilliant. What kind of stories did you hear oh, from brilliant. the people who gave you? We we had all sorts of odd lifts, and the, the only one that really sticks in my mind is we were we got a lift from this Kenyan guy, um, who discovered that um, Bis, my friend, is Irish, and we ended up following a, a Guinness truck for a while. Oh my <laughs> goodness, he kept on about the Guinness truck and Ireland, and so on. that was just <laughs> a very funny experience. How yeah. would you so so Zambia borders with Zimbabwe to the south? Is that right? Where what else? Where else does it border? Malawi to the east mm -hmm. and Tanzania to the northeast. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we went up through the north of Zambia, through Tanzania up to Kenya. What was so the Tanzania is on the coast? Tanzania is on the coast. I, Kenya on the coast as yes, well. Yes, yeah, I thought so. Um, and. What would you say was, uh, I'm just going to choose two, but what, how do you describe the difference? And Kenya's enormous, isn't it? Um, I always imagine it being massive somehow. It's Well, it, no, it's not that huge. Oh, isn't it? Okay. Um, not like extremely um, awkward is um, DRC, the Congo, the Democratic ah, Republic of Congo. That's a huge country. And that was exactly north of Zambia. Okay. And that was a no-go area and like it's too dangerous. Time. Yeah. Yeah. So um what would you typify the difference between Kenya and Zambia? Kenya then was much more 
developed. I see. I mean, it, it wasn't, it still had lots of journey. But like, for example, the safari parks and so mm -hmm. on were all much more organized. Um, and to be honest, for me at that time, I preferred the, the, the game parks in Zambia because they were much more natural. Yes. Um, but Kenya was, was very organized. And um, yeah, Nairobi was a, a dream city. It was um, very, very beautiful and well organized. Mm -hmm. um, How about the cultures there and the people? Um, not so different. Um, big Swahili Arab um, influence on the coast of Kenya and so on. So that, that's a bit different. further north. Yes, yes. Yeah. And trading and so on from the old days. Um, beautiful old Arab islands like Lamu off the northern north of Mombasa, um, which we went to. We did all that. It was great. Um, Zambia is much more of a, a just, yes, copper and farming. And, and some very ordinary game parks, a very natural game parks, not ordinary. Really. Um, I suppose those are the main differences then, yeah. Wow. And so what happens after Zambia? Um, I went back to the UK. Mm -hmm. And reverse culture shock? <laughs> yes, okay. yes, a bit, yes, yes. And was unemployed for a while. I actually went on the dole um, as I was trying to adjust to what, what came next um, and then got the job. Um, well, I, I did the job in, you, you, you went through my CV earlier. I got the job in hospital catering, mm -hmm. which was very interesting. Mm -hmm. Hospital management and the NHS, very interesting. Interesting. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> well, I was rather surprised at how many people were employed in admin and didn't really seem to be necessary. Uh -huh. um, you know, you're going to quite a lot of offices and people were not as busy as they could be. Um, being a bit left of center politically, I thought that it should be better managed. Um, but huge respect for the NHS. Yeah. Huge respect for them. And that was very good experience working there. But then I got the job um, with John Lewis in Milton Keynes and Milton Keynes was so new then. Yeah. And um, in so, fact, I was there for the opening of the, the city centre and the John Lewis store. Well, OK, so just to be just to be clear, like Milton Keynes is a new town in the UK and it was built as a satellite to London, wasn't it? It's yes. near Luton, maybe or? It's um, north of Luton. North of Luton. It's near Bedford. Yeah. Yes, near Bedford. And um, so it's a completely entirely new town built in the 60s, maybe, or 70s. Oh, no, you were there in the 70s, 80s, no? Yes, it was built in the 60s, again, 70s. Yeah. I should know. But, yeah. Anyway, well, <laughs> so that's what Milton Keynes is. Yeah. All right. And it was a great place to be. Yes. Because it was new and it was growing and there was, um, it, it, it's built on satellite communities mm -hmm. and so e each community had something new going for it they were building up um, and lots of opportunities to do something you know follow your interest for example I'd, I could go to a, a pottery workshop and and just pot away mm -hmm. um, and all you had to do was pay for your clay and things and mm -hmm. th these sorts of facilities were great it was a really um, I enjoyed my years in Milton Keynes I, I, it's got a terrible reputation. It has got a terrible reputation, but I didn't. My um, my ex used to live in Bedford, 
And so we popped to Milton Keynes to go to a shopping centre there or something. And it's actually in very lovely countryside. Mm, oh, beautiful. beautiful. Really beautiful, lovely yeah. countryside. And I understand the idea of a satellite mm. uh, a thing like that. But if you have this kind of, um, you know, um, what, what would you call it? That kind of villagey feeling. If, if one has a, a kind of village fantasy about, you know, cottages with thatched roofs and stuff like that, then I suppose Milton Keynes just looks a bit boxy. Yes. But yes, it's a perfect and everything good, looks the same. It's and everything looks the same, but why not? Well, in each area it looks the same. Each area was certainly designed to be different. So yeah. they're different from each other. But within that community, yes, you'd have oh, rows we're a bunch of houses. Of terrible snobs as English, aren't same, we? Same, if, it's not, if it's not some beautiful little chocolate box Cotswoldsy right. thing, then it's just terrible. But it was interesting, it was built on grids. So you've yeah. got the grid roads, very much like um, US cities. And they were planting trees at that time yes. to grow up. And if I go back now and look, those trees actually shelter, sh hide, not hide. Yeah, I suppose hide the, um, the, the, the satellite, the, the communities there. And so all you're seeing is natural yeah. trees and so on. So that, that was nice. That's what they did. Yeah. It was on the canal too, which was nicer. Beautiful. So um, just in, at that, in that first spell in Zambia, did you meet your husband then? Did you meet Steve in that spell the first time? Yes. Because um, because we're going to talk about this a little bit, but you cycled back round to him, didn't you? Or something? Yes. I did two years as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. And then the third year, I had a job with the hotel National Hotel Corporation, which sounds much grander than it, it was, um, as a training officer. And during that um, third into fourth, bit of fourth year, um, Steve came to Zambia to set up a field office for the volunteers because as volunteers we were actually responsible to the British Council until then um, and uh, so he arrived to set up um, the, the field office for VSO so that's how I met him. Ah I see but that but you didn't marry him that time you didn't start going out with him at that time I didn't marry him then. I went back to UK and married my first husband, boyfriend. Yeah, mm -hmm. from college. Was that when you were in Milton Keynes? Yes. Well, he worked for the Open University. Okay. So that's why we're in Milton Keynes. Ah. And so it's based there, the Open University, yes. and that was radical at the time as well, wasn't it? The Open University. Yes. Yes. Um, um, radical, but it was but set up a as radical a, idea. I mean, yes, it yes. was. It was a radical idea when it was set up, um, and it was great. Um, yeah. It was a bit like the, you know, socialising. It was almost a bit like sort of a student community because yes. um, our social life pretty much revolved around Open University. I was a member of the um, the uh, theatre group. What was it called Open Theatre Group mm -hmm. in um, in the Open University, and that was great. I was always the stage manager. I was always the backstage. I liked that. Mm. Were you quite young when you got married the first time? Um, I don't know what young is. Odd question. What, 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 what age was that? Well, I was 20, the, 20, 26. Okay, so not super young then. Yeah. Okay. How I long were know. you married? How old I was? Pardon? How long were you married for the first time? Five years. Four years. Five years. Five years. Okay. <laughs> but, but we'd been together for many years. Yes. And we actually lived together when I was at. Um, when we were, I was in Cardiff. Yeah, yeah Cardiff in Car uh, 
in Cardiff at college. <laughs> and Nick, Nick was the student president of the university mm -hmm. student union. Okay. In that last year we were in Cardiff. Yes. Okay, so what happens next then? So you're in Milton Keynes, you're working at the John Lewis, you're married to Nick, and what happens next? I had itchy feet. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to do something different. And so then I was looking at what to do and what to do next. Mm -hmm. um, so I was the, I say problem in inverted commas, but you know, my itchy feet. Um, wasn't necessarily what Nick wanted to do. So um, I looked around for something. Steve had been to see us, been to visitors and so on, and then had gone off, come off to Japan. Your second husband, Steve, had been to visit you, so he knew you guys. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, and so then when um, we split up, um, I told lots of friends, you know, that that's what was happening. And some time later, I got a letter from Japan. They were oh, sorry to hear that, telling me about Japan. And I thought, hmm. okay, that's different from Africa. Could be my next experience. And so, yeah, then I came. I came here on a visit, um, uh, 84, February 84, and decided to, to try this out for a while. Okay. And 30, Six years later. Here you are in your house that you own by the river in West Tokyo. <laughs> I never, so many people you, you talk to, oh, I never expected to stay. Oh yeah, me too. And I never expected to be in a country that was so organized. You always imagined yourself in somewhere less developed. Yeah. And I still kind of enjoy the, the, the element of chaos. Uh-huh. That you I come across when I go visiting the less developed world. Yeah, interesting. So so then so you come to Japan. What was you what were you doing at first? English existing. teaching. Just existing. existing. Yes. Yes. I don't think I was cut out to be an English teacher. No, me but, neither. Um, I'm useless. <laughs> it, 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 uh, I'm very thankful that it, it kept me going for a while. Yeah, it's a great little it's a it's a great way to earn a earn, earn a keep and to, to learn it, about people and to learn about yeah, just to learn about people and to learn about work ethic and to learn about all those kinds of good and things. And you're right, it's a good introduction to Japan and yes. talking to the students and things or not getting, you know, not finding out about depending how good a teacher you were. But yeah. um, yes, and uh, it was it was um, a good introduction, but it was so badly organised. I mean, anybody could become an English teacher. I wasn't a qualified teacher. Yes, yeah, same. And you know, so many conversation lounges. It was bubble years, yes. and it was really quite crazy. And what astonished me was the waste in the bubble years. Mm -hmm. um, the bubble years means there was a massive economic bubble in the eighties. Yeah. It burst in the nineties when Japan was just so ludicrously rich that people could make a fortune yeah, here, couldn't yeah. they? Like there was there was so much money. It was based off property, I think, and maybe in development. Largely, I think. Um, and export perhaps. Yes. Um, well, car manufacturing, yes. things like that. Um, well, and tech. Yes. Tech um, products and mm -hmm. so on. And I mean, I was shocked that at the rubbish, and I, off, I often, a lot of my furniture and stuff from my first flats came out of the rubbish because was so much was being thrown out it was terrible 
Yeah, not so much these days, actually. I used to, I remember when I first got here almost 20 years ago now, there was so much stuff in the rubbish. Mm. Sofas, chairs, Mm. all kinds of things. TVs, skis. Much, (laughs) much much more real now. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. It's, there's something different, something shifted. Of course it was real then, but it's much more, makes much more sense now. Yeah. Yeah, 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 the many layers of Japan. Many layers of Japan. I'm always discovering more. Are you? Yes. I'm constantly yes, yes. discovering more. Yeah. Um, I really, I do love it here. Um, so you come to Japan. Do you hook up with Steve straight away? That's quite a direct question. <laughs> well, yeah, it was, he was the only person I knew here. So. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Mm-hmm. And how long after that were you married? Um, when did we get married? I came in 84. We got married in 86. 86. What was what was it about Steve that attracted you? What did you love about Steve? He's awkward. Uh-huh. And you could have, we had good discussions. Uh-huh. I don't know. What, what, what do all of us find in our partners? That's a hard thing to answer. I know. Now. I asked somebody else this recently and they were mm. like, what? And they asked me, what do you like about your husband? I just looked at him and I was like, I just think he's great. <laughs> Well, that's what I should say. Sorry. No, no, no. But obviously then I went on to to unfold that a little bit more. But I just think it's really interesting to hear what it is that people find. So, you know, it it was was, awkward. Awkward. No, I've been sarcastic. Uh, (laughs) But but awkward in terms of the bar, we'd have discussions. Yes. And um, great discussions. Obtuse. No. Yeah. 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 Well, probably it works both ways, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So great discussions and awkwardness. Love it. All right. So then And so, we also had to get married because of visas. Yes. So I mean that that's and <laughs> to be very practical. Yes, the same. We had to be very practical about that as well. I mean, I'm sure we would have got wed anyway, but it did accelerate mm, it, things it, it, somewhat. It, it hurried it along. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is always an issue when you're not I was always quite happy not to be married. Yes. Because it didn't make any difference to our relationship. Yes. Um, but definitely the visa requirement. Yeah. Essential. That's a, and that's always an issue for people who aren't living in their home country mm. as well. I think it's really important to, and to neither recognize of us that. In our home country, so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, very personal question. No kids. What was the, was that a conscious decision? Yes. Yes. I've never. Would never you mind wanted. sharing that with us? Uh, well, mainly because I'm too selfish, I think. I mean, that's that's my simple um, answer, because I always want to do things. I want to, you know, if I had, I couldn't have just down gone off to visit projects and things. And I always wanted to be doing something else. So I thought if you have children, you should look after them. I agree. And, and I wasn't, I mean, not that you can't look after them, but I wanted more from my life at that point and I've never regretted the decision yes but that was why yes okay interesting yeah I like to ask that question I mean we have had a lot of on this series actually Jane we've had a lot of people we talk about this a lot we talked about infertility we talked about miscarriage talked about birth stories um talked about infertility and then having babies after being diagnosed with infertility and so on so and and of course I also don't have children and I also didn't want children mm. and um you know we had a go at one point but um uh, my, my um 
my story is that uh, I went to the doctors as well and, and um, she said, you know what? She goes, I can give you a fertility drug today. It will be 500 yen, which is about $5. And um, you'll probably be pregnant by next month. <laughs> Honestly, it was that moment where I, I was out that door like, yes. like a cartoon. <laughs> That would change my life very, very much too quickly. Like she literally said, and I was, I was like, it was like one of those cartoons where their 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 feet go, <laughs> and then there's a little cloud behind them, and that was the moment where I was like, okay, uh, to my husband, we're done with this project now. I'm I'm done. Well, that's interesting. And the other thing that was interesting when I first came to Japan is, I would always often be asked, and oh, yes. you know, I was just surprised at how often people said. Oh, and you have children, and I'd say no, and they go, oh. So I feel I had to say, well, it's my choice. It's not, you don't have to feel sorry for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and it was always, you know, Japanese um, friends asking me that, mm -hmm. or, or people I met. But it was quite surprising how often I yeah. was asked. Yeah, I think it's it's a really it's a rich and interesting conversation to have as well, in a way, because it is a it's a way to be in the world, and there's many ways to be in the world. My 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 mum's sister didn't have children. My dad's sister didn't have children. My grandma's sister didn't have children. My grandma's cousin didn't have children. So I've just been surrounded by that as a standard. It's not something I find terribly mm. difficult to you know fit into my into my scope of the way there there are to lead a life. My mother didn't like me saying that. She didn't like me saying I didn't want children. Interesting. Yeah. What do you think um, that was about? She and she just thought that I was always wanting to be different. Oh, I suppose it goes back to the earlier conversation. Yeah. She just thought I was, always, I was always wanting to be obtuse and different. And that was, uh, and it, again, it wasn't an upsetting conversation, but it just fascinated me that she, oh, why don't you? What's the matter with that? <laughs> Rights for the childless. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Yeah, she was. She was quite funny about it. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny, isn't it? I mean, you know, people often say it's the most natural thing in the world. And I'm like, I don't, is that true? I don't know. I mean, obviously yeah, that we're no. here to kind of be carriages for our DNA, but I never had the maternal instinct. No. My father was always more on I was much closer to my father than to my mother. Mm -hmm. And he always, um, it was always easier to tell him my, yeah. what strange views. Yeah. Was he interested in you? But yeah, I guess so. It yeah. was interesting as both. I mean, he never showed in, neither of them actually showed favoritism. No, not really. Yes. Um, no, I, but I was, I, he was an artist. He was a funny man and entertaining. So it was much easier to, yeah. I, I think I was probably closer to him than my sister. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to look at it like that. Yeah, yeah, I was close to my dad and my brother and was close to my mom. Mm. I think it's quite, it's quite normal. Mm, it's yeah. absolutely Some, somebody's got to be so yeah it's just quite normal yeah. i like that i think it's really nice when parents are really genuinely interested in their kids like just mm. really like curious and listen not for any reason not to be like oh why do you have to be like that or you know it was kind of some kind of ammo later on it's just really i really really enjoyed having you know having a parent be super super curious in me you know, genuinely, like, yeah. what? even with naughty things, you know, yeah. even things I wasn't supposed to do, still curious about it without judgment. It was, it's such a nice feeling, that is. Love it. Okay, let's move on from that then. So, what? when do you kind of really find your feet in Japan? Well, I guess when we opened the restaurant, because we were definitely, we had to have our feet here then. Uh-huh. Um, 
it, it that came about because yeah i didn't see myself carrying on teaching we actually did talk about if we're going to stay in japan we should do something more concrete mm-hmm. if we're not going to we should look at maybe going to do some work in the development in aid work or whatever development work somewhere else and at, at some point the decision came that we would open the restaurant because of my um background yes and i'd wish i'd never have my own restaurant um but was persuaded and we did and so that was an interesting experience just sort of setting up it took two years basically mm-hmm. from having the idea to actually opening the place things like you know where do you get loans from where do you get assistance this that and the other very funny looking for loans you go to a, a, comp- a loan company and they'd ask you for three for collateral and there were three options for collateral obviously um premises um land um investments and the third one was golf club membership it was bubble time and golf club memberships were extremely valuable extremely expensive and they were considered collateral for loans we were asked that three or four times and of course you know really (laughs) um so that was very interesting and the other bit of advice we got from one person was um go to a bank near your premises near your your shop your restaurant premises and that was really nerve-wracking because you had to secure an agreement for the rental of, of, a, of a premises and then go for a loan and if you didn't get that you were really kind of stuck it did work mm-hmm. that's exactly how we did get the loan yeah um from what's it daiichi kangyo bank i forget which that seems one. back to front doesn't it in a way but then again when when you don't when you live outside of your own your culture or country of origin you soon realize that there's no such thing as logic yeah logic is just it, yeah. it's it, it differs depending on the and place you, you yeah, are that's was all part of the learning process yeah. and so on. and that those loans were interesting because um three years we had that loan and then at the end of the three years the the deputy bank manager came to the restaurant see us and said thank you very much and you paid blah 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 would you like another one we went oh um we weren't thinking of taking another one and but we knew that that was probably a good idea if if it was on offer and so we did take another one for three years but then at the end of that three years we did want a loan and by then they would completely shut down on a lot of the loans going out and we couldn't get one for level money gosh and what was that restaurant then it was called 1066 what kind of food did you serve there british british food for example like shepherd's pie and things like that Yes, yes. Fish and chips. I mean, you are the queen of fish and chips, <laughs> like the queen. I've never wanted to be. Um, yes, I did all sorts of research into British food, which is fascinating, really yes. fascinating. Um, and we set up um, the restaurant and we had the menu. We had a changing menu every day to showcase all the delights of British food historically and contemporarily and so on and so forth. And people were just constantly looking for what they knew. We, we were asked for shepherd's pie, asked for steak and kidney pie, asked for fish and chips, roast beef. And if we say, well, you, you we're happy to do that, just, you know, make the booking and say that's what your request is. But that wasn't reassuring enough for people. They wanted to know they could turn up and expect 
something typically British. And in the end, we had those four staples on every day. Yeah. With um, some specials on. And I suppose as time went on, it kind of lost its fascination for me, uh, who did most cooking, because Steve actually had to carry on teaching because we couldn't get a visa. Um, he was still involved in restaurant, but not as full time as yes. I was. Um, and so, yeah, it lost its sort of sparkle in, you know, showcasing the best of British food when it was what I thought ordinary British food. <laughs> but it was it, I, it, brilliant experience. Um, brilliant having experience. Having the restaurant, yeah. And that's why you started to build your network up, is it? So you're involved in like there was a British club, British council, British, I suppose you had connections with the embassy and things like yeah. that as a result of having that. And doing catering work. Ah. Um, and so, yes, doing a, um, a lot of catering work for those different organisations and meeting people that well, we wouldn't have met just by socialising and so on. Yeah. I mean, that's one uh, one thing that's absolutely marvellous in Tokyo is the networks are so well connected, aren't they? And mm. I think this, this it's an interesting, um, um, I suppose one could use the word expat experience here, it, which is different to other places. It's, it seems quite democratic in a way, like you end up knowing people from all across the span of life, I think, which is slightly different to say somewhere like Hong Kong or um, Shanghai or something mm. like that, where I think there's it's a lot more layered than that. I've, I know all kinds of people. Yeah, I'm very spread out, whereas the, 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 those places that you've mentioned are much more, you've got that community. Yes. That British community. Yes. Whereas here, apart from anything else, we so many nationalities yes, in terms so of foreigners many. here so yes. um uh, and, and there isn't the, the the british background or the american well not to the same extent and yes um we did meet a huge cross-section of people but you know it still surprises me to meet and and come across brits in completely different areas and who've been here a long time and how come we them. never knew that? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's... so arrogant. But it <laughs> is, I feel like it that is as such well, a but... kind of surprise. Well, yeah. we both lovely retreated. surprise, yes. <laughs> and these yeah. days we both kind of retreated into the uh, the countryside a little bit yes. as well, haven't yes. we? So, yeah, um, I don't suppose we're as well connected now. And we're very, you know, locally focused too. Um, so when did that close down? The year 2000. So 20 years it's, almost. Yeah. Oh, it's 20 years? 20 years ago. Yes. Yeah, um, we did it for 12 years, mm -hmm. basically. 12 yeah. years, mm. okay. So the year 2000, and what was the final kind of straw that broke the camel's back there? I just wanted to change. You just wanted to change. change. I yeah. always wanted to change. But a fantastic experience running the restaurant. Uh, there's the famous Rolling Stones story. I think oh, you may have told me this, but come on, tell me again. One. Um, well, it was actually in, in that first year, I think. We had a phone call from Tokyo Dome saying, can you make shepherd's pie? And we, yeah. Can you make shepherd's pie for 60? Yeah. Um, and so they booked us to do catering for the dressing room area of the Rolling Stones Steel Wheels tour. Because Keith Richards' favourite food is shepherd's pie. Mm -hmm. And so it was a fascinating experience because there was so much fuss about the shepherd's pie over and above the rest of the buffet that we served because he held up a concert once in Canada uh, because everyone, they, people had eaten all the shepherd's pie and he held the concert up for an hour he was throwing one of his tantrums. <laughs> Did you meet them? Um, the, the, well, I, I saw them. Um, yeah. Talked to a couple of them. 
Keith Richards came up and looked at the shepherd's pie and he said, looked at me and said, quite important, was it? I said, yeah, well, I understand you. Not nice. I'm not eating any today. And he went off and played billiards. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, there's so many stories like this. I don't know. There's something about Tokyo where you get to be connected to just about everything. I know, very bizarre. Well, I mean, you'd never have that opportunity to go to a restaurant. Well, you might, okay. but yeah. yeah. Um, we also did Shepherd's Pie for Eric Clapton. Didn't meet him though. They came uh, as a takeout. He's huge here, isn't he? Like mm. huge. Yeah. Beloved. Yeah. He's beloved here. Yes. Yeah. I'm more of a fan of Eric Clapton music than I am the Rolling Stones. So that was interesting. I like the Rolling Stones better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, young. What's the singer's name? Mick Jagger. Young Mick Jagger. <laughs> Any day of the week. <laughs> lovely um okay so when did you start doing the fuji rock festival At was the it very the very first time the very first festival so um was it 96 i forget the 96 the, the very first fuji rock festival i okay I, so you we, started while you oh because it's called 1066 your mm, stall isn't it yeah so the fuji rock festival is basically like the glastonbury of yeah. of of japan it's fantastic and there's like a, a world food cafe, like area there there's there's the normal kind of there's a massive food area where all the japanese food is and then there's the world food area and jane has a, a fish and chip i worked there one year just making so many fish and chips awful isn't it oh it's disgusting <laughs> um, i mean it I, i'd say it was fun but it, it was really disgusting and <laughs> especially when it rains um but, uh, but it was a fantastic experience but you do this every year didn't you started this when you were 45 right I think that's what yes. you told me because I can remember oh, being yes. there being like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I hate doing this. And then I was like, how old were you when you started this? And she goes, oh, 45. Do, and I was like, in my I'm 45 now and it's just too hard. <laughs> Such a baby. Yes. Um, I, did, I don't think I complained that much while I was there. Did no, I? no. I had a great no. deal of fun. But um, yeah, afterwards I was like, I don't think I'll do this again. <laughs> well, you were very determined to do it with your. Um, scarf you, oh well, that's right i had a little kind like of a, like hilda ogden yeah, scarf and yeah. a red lip every yeah, day which you did yeah, yeah and uh, yeah i did i showed I a picture of it yeah and um yeah i think I, I did a fantastic job well i am the british business awards best dress jane so <laughs> um i think it's worth yes. noting that yes <laughs> yes and uh, i'll send the picture through to them <laughs> <laughs> thank you um so that came about because you have a friend who has an Ethiopian restaurant, is that right? And he's yes, Solomon was um, friends with the uh, the um, Shacho, what's Shacho, president of mm -hmm. the um, promoters, and so he asked Solomon to set up this world restaurant area. So that's how I got oh. involved in it. Yes, um, and uh, over the years, he and I have brought in different restaurants. Isn't there is actually it's not a world restaurant area. It's not called that anymore. No. The last two years obviously it hasn't happened this year um but previous like the last the previous two years it was called it's called blue galaxy now blue galaxy mm, okay that area um but yes it, we are in um in an area which is kind of nicely away from the 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 main um food area the big food area um it is extremely hard work it long is hours hard, very hard, hard work, work. And, oh my God, such hard work. And so much frying and, and fat and, um, yeah, and grease. <laughs> and you're just on your feet. I mean, I can remember yes. standing there and maybe two hours on the fryer 
and I, I know at the time I was, uh, it was, it was, I was kind of, I think I was three years into my business at the time. So I was still just doing nothing where I was going flat out doing anything I could and hadn't started to kind of uh, differ, uh, to, to, to rationalize it. And so I'd been working so hard and I could not wait to get into the mountains because it's on a ski resort and, um, and just use my hands and do something with my hands. So I didn't want to be customer facing, although that's kind of one of my, I used to run pubs when I was younger and mm. I was really, really, I really enjoy that kind of engagement and looking after people and making them feel really good and stuff like that. But I was like, put me behind the fryer. I don't want to, I don't want to talk to people at all. Oh my God, two or three hours on that. Just, just all you're doing is you're just getting fish, <laughs> thinging it in batter, putting it in the fryer, getting it out. People are shouting at you, I need more fish. <laughs> and there's chips on the other side. And then at some point your legs just start to burn. Yes. But it's quick. It's it's not a slow thing. It's not like, oh, I'm starting to feel a bit achy. It's like, all right, I'm out. I'm done. I need to I need to sit down. And you're taking over. You go through stages too. Yeah. You, know, you get really tired and then you suddenly get second wind. Yeah. And, and it all makes as you I mean, but it's atrocious conditions. And, and oh, union and my actually my final thesis at college was um trade unions in the catering business. <laughs> so uh, just if you look at what <laughs> The conditions oh my god you up, uh, I'd, I'd be in terrible trouble yeah i know three just, days though food hygiene as well like was massive i i worked for bass taverns when i was doing the pubs and they were so strict and mm. stringent about yeah. like keeping your cellar clean and everything and like food hygiene and stuff like that they were they were actually a brilliant company to work for i learned so much and um yeah it's just it's just wild, isn't it? But the thing is, when you're frying things in like I don't oh, know, ten thousand so degree fat, you are not fine. The hygiene is a hundred percent fine, and you're serving alcohol. People will come in for breakfast and have they just get on the pints straight <laughs> gin, away. Eight gin o'clock. Gin and tonic for breakfast. Yeah, unbelievable. So it was gin and tonic. There was ale, all this kind of stuff. It's such good fun. I saw Bjork. Oh yeah. So it's good fun. And after so many years of doing it, I, you know the characters. The characters yeah. who run it are, you know, old mates. It's great to see them. Yeah. Oh, my hat's off to you for that, Jane, because that is a, that's an undertaking. And you have to drive this massive van, don't you, full of all the, the stuff. The freezer truck, yeah. The freezer truck. It's great. I like driving that, actually. Yeah. Feel, you feel as if you've got something really strong under you. Yeah, like really powerful. Yeah. I mean, you look, <laughs> I just imagine you going down the motorway there and people <laughs> going past you like, doing a double take seeing this like so it's like you see the trucks going around here and you oh it's a woman driver gosh yeah but then add to that that you're, you're you're not japanese and add to that that you're a bit older as well do you know what i mean it's like what yes she's weird <laughs> oh well yeah that's a given we're we're in good company here aren't we so that's um what what's the best act you've seen at foodie rock or do you have a year that stands out obviously the year i was there well, definitely, <laughs> no. definitely do you have any years that really stand out for you like as as being absolutely fantastic years or what was the best act you've seen there um i have not recently been to see many of the acts because half of them i don't know yes um I'm, and uh, the team tried to educate me a bit on, on the music to go and listen to and also there's a friend who comes every year and he's always looking at he comes to hear and hear and see new bands and so on um and so he's always telling me and i but i can't remember i I did go to see Bjork. Um, I thought she, I didn't think she was so exciting. Um, but the, the one that does stand out for me was the year that the Sierra Leone 
refugee all-stars came. Okay. Um, and I was really keen to meet them. They're refugees from Sierra Leone um, conflict, and they'd set up um, the band while they were in um, a refugee camp and so on. And I met them and loved them, and we had long chats and so on. So I think that stands out for me more than actually seeing a great band. Oh. I'm always a little bit disappointed in some of the stage acts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember going to Hyde Park concerts and the Isle of Wight concert mm -hmm. um, all those years ago. And the, the stage staging was always quite exciting. Yes. Um, and so I find that one or two of them are good, but generally, you know, they just walk on, play, yeah. and then they go off. And, and, and no so the, the fans that know about the music—that's that's great for them. Yes. Because I don't know about it, so um, it's more the characters that I meet and uh, mm -hmm. come to the school year in year out. Yeah. From from all sorts of places: Taiwan, Hong Kong, um, mostly those two countries in terms of you know visitors yes. apart from Japanese people. What what was that band called again? The Sierra Leone Refugee All Stars. The Sierra Sierra Leone Refugee All Stars. Oh, I might look those up. Yeah. Do they have a website? Nice or they've, they've got YouTube channels. I'm sure, yeah. Well I'm sure I've listened to them there, yeah. Please look them up, listeners. So um let's move on then. So this is a nice segue into you know what we're going to talk about bringing us into the modern day, the the current times, which is formerly known as Refugees International Japan, now known as, you say it. Refugee Empowerment International. I've got to get that to, to flow off my tongue. <laughs> I'm still practicing that. Yes. Because I'm so, going to just call it Ray. <laughs> uh, we're actually um, trying to, well, as far as possible, use the name. Also, um, also we're saying REI generally. Yes. Because somebody supporting from another country wouldn't read it as Ray. I see. Oh, no, they wouldn't, wouldn't, they'd say we, we, wouldn't they? we wouldn't read that, that <gasps> syllabary in the same way. Um, but it's fine, whatever, either way, it's okay. fine. Um, but the reason for changing the name is to give a better message. So therefore, as far as possible, use the full name. Yes, Refugees um, Empowerment International. So, uh, you know... How did you get involved in this then, Jane? And what's it all about? Can you tell us all about it and what the ethos is and so on? As I said earlier, I'm on the board of directors of this and I support it because of the way we work. And um, I, and and Jane is such an incredible, oh, I'm feeling emotional. Every single session I have an emotional outburst. <laughs> um, Jane's such an incredible, um, I don't, I wouldn't say lead. It's more like, how would you describe yourself? It's, it's like you're the the fertilizer or something mm. like that. The enjoying this, uh, the soil, well, the, the instigator, instigator, I'm not the yes, initiator. Yes, um, that's motivator. All. The motivator. But I you, don't know. What's your title? Executive director. Executive director of um, Refugees Empowerment International. But it's you're very much the face of it, but also you're very much in the background, and that's very important for us i think as well because the stars of the the whole thing sh must be the people who receive our the beneficiaries our benef the beneficiaries of it um they are unbelievably incredible people um yeah it's a terrible terrible thing to be displaced and have nothing and it's essential that we provide financial aid to people so that they can decide what to do with it yes so please tell us more yes. about it um, well, I got involved because um, I knew people who were working in, in what was in RIJ um, and they'd asked me to 
is part of it, but I had the restaurants. I had two restaurants at one point during that time. Um, and, but I closed the restaurant and um, a friend asked me if I would join. Um, and I had only seen the uh, very, very successful fancy uh, social events, mm -hmm. fundraising events. And uh, it's not what I wanted to do, but they actually wanted somebody to do the, the grants, the, the project funding, um, choose the projects, um, follow them, assess them, and, and report back and so on. And that was right up my street. Mm -hmm. That was exactly, you know, my area of interest. And um, as it turned out, um, a few contacts as well. So I joined um, as a volunteer. I was still had the catering business, but um, uh, I joined as a volunteer on, on the project management. And that changed over the years because um, obviously I picked up projects that were already being funded and so on. And started to go and visit the projects, which um, my predecessors hadn't been doing for very good reasons, because they had other commitments that they couldn't do that. Um, and listening to um, the, the, the beneficiaries, um, possible new projects and so on, and listening to what they could do, what they wanted, was fascinating, absolutely mm -hmm. fascinating. I've been involved in various organizations, um, social issues or aid or whatever, but I didn't really know very much about the refugee world mm -hmm. directly. Um, and so it was all a bit of a, a learning process for me, but fascinating and amazing. I was so impressed and I could see that just giving something, um, giving something for today was not what they wanted no. it wasn't like they i'm sorry i shouldn't be saying they um but it was not what what people wanted they people want to build a normal life they want to be normal yeah they, they want, want the same things that we want yes exactly I'm really not any more demanding than that um and their highest dream is to go home, is that, that right? Definitely. And, and to be close to home if they possibly can, yes. if people possibly can, the same as anybody. Out of what is now 80 million people, the number of people that are looking to go to another country is very small. The majority of them want to stay where they are and with the hope of going home. So they want to stay within their own culture, um, in circumstances of And familiar. language, yes. very simply. Language and, yeah. and culture and so on. And so it was a fascinating introduction to a world that is completely misunderstood. Completely misunderstood. Jane, can you just give me what the, your, your definition of a refugee is? Somebody who's, how do you, how Dis do we typify that? It displaced from home by um, conflict, persecution, belonging to the wrong ethnic group. So um, that kind of- Displaced from home and that, yeah, okay, conflict, Actually, in the in the true definition of it, conflict is not there. I mean, we've always assumed it is. Yes. And it was highlighted for me a, a while ago that actually the, that word is not there, but we all accept that is meaning part of war. It. Yes. Um, uh, but persecution is is what comes out of the war and in danger of your life. Um, yeah, because nobody wants to up sticks and leave their no. home. The end. And it's not what people confuse as migrants who are choosing to go somewhere else. Refugees don't have that choice. Yes. And we also, there's, there's two um, definitions. Refugees have fled over a border. 
Um, and the other definition is IDP, internally displaced people. Right. So um, they they are the same as refugees, but still in their own country. Mm -hmm. So we fund both um, refugees both and IDP projects. So and returnees sometimes. And returnees, know. so mm. that they can be helped to build Re their build yeah, themselves rebuild. Yeah. rebuild. Um, there's a beautiful story of a bake. Is it a baker in Africa? Oh, Bizimana. Yeah. Yes, he's one of our favourites. And um, now he trains other people to be entrepreneurs. Is that right, or um, is he just a, a, he? He's got his own business and he employs um, oh, that's right. people into his, his business. Um, and he also does environmental activities with the um, children in, in the um, area that he lives in. He gets them collecting up the plastic bottles and showing how to build walls with them by filling all sorts of stuff he does. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. He's also a musician <laughs> and mean, he's done he's done a, a yeah what an incredible person so i would like to know where are our projects and what do they focus on um we currently mm -hmm. we're we featuring five projects that yes. we are raising funds for three on well two on the thai Myanmar border and one inside Myanmar in karen mm -hmm. state so that's idp yes mm -hmm. um lebanon which is Syrian refugees and Nairobi, which is the entrepreneur refugees who are what we in urban environment, not in camps. So in Nairobi, then that's an entrepreneurial project, is it, to help people to start businesses yes. or support people to start their businesses? So it's yes. financial support, and we don't send anybody on the ground out there. We just offer financial support yes. to, and they are self-managed. Uh, well, and the host community. Uh, and the host actually community. Promoting integration in the host community is very important. Ah, I mean, refugees course. refugees have fled where they're not welcome and they end up places they're not always very welcome. Yeah. So um, building that integration and understanding is very important to the making the best of the situation. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, no, what do we know? We don't go out there and do it. Yeah, we don't. Because, yeah. <laughs> because A, we don't know the culture, B, maybe we're not as clever as they are i was going to say when we're not inherently cleverer better no. more skilled or any of those things not at all apart from the places where we might be but that's it and uh, um, a yeah. big buzzword these days is sustainable right? yeah sustainability and uh, interestingly i remember rewriting our uh, funding criteria um about 12 years ago and that word sustainable was in our funding criteria because the reason it's there is because the projects must continue beyond our funding. Yes. That there must be something that's going to go on. We want to know what happens afterwards. Yes. Um, and mostly it's that the, the participants themselves, the beneficiaries have gained something, obviously, but they are then able to put something back into the community um, and go on to do bigger and better things. Yeah. Um, so that's a very important part. If if it's if it's managed and owned by the community, there is much more chance of sustainability. Love it. And I, I love that phrase, like, what do we know? Like that is just the it's the crux of, of it's the crux and the backbone because what do we know? We mm. are not going in there to be like, hey guys, and get our photos taken and oh. It's just yeah. gross, isn't it? Some of the Doesn't stuff that happens out either. there. No. Um, what was I going to say? So the Myanmar border, one of those is a, a addiction. Is that right? Yes. So, um, amazing program. Mm -hmm. um, 
obviously there's well Myanmar is the highest producer of methamphetamines in the world I did not know that and the second highest producer of opium so there's a lot of stuff around there and yes. obviously um, the refugee communities are vulnerable and it's a way of controlling them. so this addiction program is amazing and it uses all natural um, treatment um, acupuncture uh, yoga water immersion that's an interesting one and natural herbs and so they see a much higher success rate than the average addiction program it's also um, residential so and it's run by the, by the by refugees the yes by the refugees um, yes. all the people involved in or one or two ties mm -hmm. one or two people from the host community um and uh it's not just the results from that program but it's the community work they do and so a huge number of people who've been through the treatment um, go on to be community workers, to spread information, to work with their peers, um, schools as well, mm -hmm. teenagers, um, and so on. And just a brilliant program. Yeah. And what's the Lebanese one? That's the kindergarten. Yeah. Um, Lebanon. <laughs> Lebanon has so many problems, as I'm sure lots of people know with the recent issues with the um, explosions, but also the oh, golly, yes. government and so on is um, having tr trouble. Um, but in addition to that, a quarter of the population is a refugee. Um, it's a small country and next door to Syria, so a huge number. And before that, there was a, quite a sizable Palestinian population. Yeah. So. Um, the, the the refugee situation is is tough and therefore because of that that size population the, the, the services the facilities um, are overwhelmed and that covers schools so for the syrian children to get into the schools it's quite tough so this kindergarten and um, the the group that we we support there they have several kindergartens they are preparing the children for getting into the elementary schools and so it a it's giving important education it's the psychosocial side is um, allowing the children to recover and uh, attending to their to the the effects of the trauma mm. um and also it gives parents time out yes. you know and if they need to work or whatever so there's all sorts of sides to that which um a kind of normal part of education but in addition it prepares them for entry into the schools and 97% of the children get into elementary school oh it's a nice story so what's where are we at now so i'm going to just come pull back from the from the from i actually consider those people to be my clients yeah yeah and pull back into the kind of the business end of it at this end. So recently we've just, um, we were very generously supported by uh, a big um, petrol company here, weren't we? And we had space from them. They recently had an M&A, a merger and acquisition. So one of the things that, that happened was that that space is not available to us anymore, right? Yeah. So currently we're looking for a new space to have our office in or something like that you're also looking to start to find other people to to partner with is that right so can you tell me kind of where we are at the moment and what our needs are as an organization um well i need the money <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to drop a link I'm, I'm going to drop a link in below here so that if you are called to um you know purchase um uh, a gift for a friend or something like that because uh, goodness knows we've got enough stuff um there is a way to become a friend of uh 
Refugees Empowerment International. <laughs> it's not rolling off my tongue yet, but I'm do, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Yes. Um, Refugees Empowerment International. Um, uh, it's a lovely way to gift uh, to a friend. And also you can see the results on our website of what's happening in the kindergartens and how um, and how fabulous our, our clients are, our recipients are. So um, money. Yeah, of course, we, we always need money. We're a fundraising group. Yes. Um, we well, we've learned through through the COVID situation that we don't actually need a five day a week office space. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And we, it would be great to have somewhere we can meet once or twice a week. So that, um, but particularly storage, um, because we do have some store, some items that we, we will need to store um, somewhere, probably storage wise, you know, a two mat room would be adequate to storage. Two mat meaning? Tatami mat. Two tatami mat. So that's about what? Two by four meters or yes, something like yes. that. Really I mean, small. But basically we don't have a lot, but we do need a storage space that we have access to. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, it would be great if, if somebody has a room that's going spare in their office that we could be could become our office and with enough space to store that would be the ideal situation yes um uh so that's what we're looking for um, and that's we, a direct call out by the way i'm going to make this a direct mm, call out if you are part of a company who can donate a small space to refugees empowerment international getting better yay <laughs> um is uh yeah please get in touch and you would obviously you you, you get logos and, and uh, recognition and so on for that. Um, we uh, we've just received um, authorization uh, certification is the better word um, for donor tax exemption. So um, from the end of this month, uh, anybody donating to us can get tax exemption if they'd like to claim that which we hope would be good for corporates um particularly um and so we would be pleased to come and talk to companies that's what we'd love um, to do is to be able to talk to more and more people about what we do i mean it's 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 a, an issue which is not un well understood in japan mm -hmm. the refugees you can't see them and so on um but we would love people to hear more about us and understand that you can make an impact very easily yeah um with a small amount i mean even a monthly donor just a few thousand yen out of your pay every month it goes a long way so that kind of thing is what we're really um emphasizing at the moment uh, as uh, a means to get um, involved we're always looking for volunteers who want um are keen to organize events and and you know organize their own campaigns and there have been some really good ones on that yeah um those are those are the main areas that we are really and how about for you jane what what oh, about yes, for you, you, you inside in, uh, for you yourself thank you for reminding You're me welcome. in your question no <laughs> um i i would love to work with somebody on on a more permanent basis uh with a new look on it i mean i love what i'm doing um and i but i've been doing it for quite a long time and i think it needs new eyes mm -hmm. Um, and a new approach. And I'd love to work with somebody so that we do a kind of job share. Um, and somebody, great opportunity to get experience of all sorts of things to do with the aid world, um, impact, sustainability, understanding resilience, all sorts of things to learn from our work. And it's a huge all, area of learning. There is that, Jane, and that's the kind of, that's the face, but on the back end as well, 
if, because it will not be a highly paid position. That's yeah. that. But um, but you also get to to be in contact with and influence the board of directors. Um, and those people who are on the board of directors are all pretty smart, interesting business people who have a perspective. You get to look at financials, look at spreadsheets, learn about like where money goes and how all this. So you, you're actually getting to learn business. You're getting to learn how to sit in a room of board of directors. You're getting to learn how people behave in the corporate world. So a level of diplomacy. Um, and you're getting to, to network as well. So I wanna really make it clear that a position like this is excellent for your personal and self-development because there has to be a call to action for that person to be, to understand that too. I think there's what's in it for you. And as a small organization, the opportunities are huge. <laughs> yeah. Because you'll learn everything yeah. about it. And, There's no bureaucracy. Um, you know, I going back to my years in, in as a volunteer in Zambia, I, I had opportunities at the age of 22 or 23 that very few people have. And I took those opportunities and I just I've never regretted it since. And I think that that's what we're in a position to do now. The, the interns and volunteers who work with us, fascinating, such a wide variety of people. And they are there to take the opportunity. If they don't make the most of those opportunities, they're losing out on, on you know, what they're doing. And fascinating group of people and such a variety of skills. Amazing. So Jane, I'd like to start to wrap up now. Um, We've got a visitor as well. Should we let him in? Let her in. Hello. Hi, kitty cats. Cats just come in. <laughs> How nice. Oh. So this is a lovely way to kind of say, what what does the future hold for you? Then what's what's coming next? This is your little family. You live here <laughs> with your. You live in this beautiful house in the country, literally next to the river. Um, I can see the river almost from this seat. Um, it's the most beautiful place. What's your, what does the future hold for you? What's your? Um, I would like to maybe work a little bit less so yeah. that I can spend more time on the house and the garden. Mm -hmm. And um, I've got a pottery wheel in the entrance, which I have not put to use for a long time. And lots of things like that, that I would just love to have the time to be in the country yeah and be that well an old hippie <laughs> <laughs> and any final words of wisdom or you know anything about your philosophy of life or what would you you know in the many many ways that there are to lead a life what would you an old hippie. I'm looking at all your necklaces up there and I'm like, she's, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> what would your, what, what, any parting words for us, Jane? Uh, or oh, just for me? Take, I mean, I've had such a variety of experiences. Yeah. The opportunity to, and going, just being a foreigner, you meet so many different people and the experiences of meeting such a variety of people uh, is brilliant and take take the opportunity use the opportunity I think it's really important so just any opportunities just use them well I suppose it depends what they well, might the opportunity be is. But, <laughs> but yeah I mean it, yes make the most of good opportunities and yeah. um, 
I mean, you know, even in the time of the pandemic, yeah, find what there is good in life. I mean, it is, yeah. it's great, isn't it? And people are great, um, generally. Yeah, people are great generally, you're right. And thanks, Jane. That was really fascinating. What an amazing uh, trip through the last 60 plus years. Oh, I know we yes. wouldn't ever know it. Um, our friend yes. thinks that we look alike. And I'm, <laughs> our friend's daughter, four-year-old daughter, <laughs> took my hand, head in her hands the other week and said, Sarah, Sarah, you look like Jane. <laughs> I was like, yes. Poor Sarah. I've, Not I've at got all. a lot of years on Sarah. I, I can't, I, well, if, if, if I'm as, uh, you know, full of life and uh, I mean, you move more, more, um, more easily than I do. <laughs> So <laughs> I'll be very, very happy indeed. But um, thank you, Jane. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to this incredible story from the from the coast of um, the south of England to the river side of Japan and everything that's happened in the middle. There are many, many ways to lead a life. This is one of them. And everybody has stories and I want to tell them. And please, if you know somebody whose stories you would love to hear, let me know. I don't want these stories to get lost anywhere and I want to keep telling them. So thank you so much from Sarah Furuya and um, Jane, where can we find you? You mean on 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 the interwebs um, at uh, rei-mpo.org. Thank you very much, and we'll link to that as well. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this latest legend on the Sarah Furuya Legends podcast. Hop over to sarahfuruya.com where you can find the full complement of uh, Legends interviews and conversations. Also, you can like and subscribe over on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. I absolutely love these interviews and these conversations I have with these people. I don't care about subscribers, if I'm absolutely honest. It just helps to get more people over to listen to these fantastic people. I cannot wait for my next interview. I really hope you can get stuck in and find some juice and some delightful little nugget of knowledge or encouragement from these that will help you to create your story and to take your story forward and to weave and dream up and high dream your own story. Buoyed up by the stories of these people, I would call them ordinary, they're not, but these people, these beautiful legends who I've selected to help you on your way and to help me on my way. So please enjoy, share, subscribe. My Facebook page is Sarah Furuya Coaching. My Instagram page is at Sarah Furuya Coaching too. So get into it. Thanks. Bye.